Well, first of all, I have photographed some really big leaders who did not want to put this version of themselves out into the world because it was too vulnerable, because it didn't match the public persona they felt like they needed to project in order to stand in their authority and their power. My argument was when I look at the visibility work with people, like as leaders, I believe that we are being asked to take a stand for a new paradigm around how we interact on this global intergalactic network called the World Wide Web. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. It's time for you to increase your influence, grow your business, and scale to freedom. Now, let's enter the lab with your host, Samantha Riley. Welcome to the show, Siddiqui. It's great to have you joining me here today. Thank you so much, Samantha. It's great to be here. Now, you are the number one intuitive photographer for global leaders, a visibility expert and a photographer. However, you're so much more than that. And this is why I'm so excited to chat with you today because I actually connected with your partner, Justin, first. And he said, oh, you need to meet my my partner, Siddiqui. She's a photographer. And he said, but she's so much more than that. And I went, okay. Like, I didn't know what that meant. And then I got on a, then we, we got on a call and connected and I was like, oh, wow, this is just going to be amazing. <laughs> so I'd love you to share with us before we begin, what is it that you do and the kind of people that you work with? Okay. What I do is I use my intuitive skills, aka psychic skills that I've developed you know, by my family since fourth grade, and I merge it with my 35-year career as a professional photographer. And I do that so that people get a very authentic image of themselves that they can use to market online or Mm. dating. Oh, sorry, what was the last thing you said? <laughs> or dating. That's what I thought you I said. mean, like it's a big thing these days, right? Dating yeah. online and you have to accurately represent yourself. Otherwise, you show up at a date and people are like, who is her? <laughs> you know, like, oh, I, <laughs> absolutely. And I'm like, advertising. Here is a fun fact for our listeners. You are the only other person I know in the whole entire world that, like me, knew when we met our respective partners that we were going to be with them for life before they knew. <laughs> yes. Yes. Women. So that's a great women's intuition. Absolutely. You know. So we're, we are in a very special club. <laughs> <laughs> we we're in the, we knew it first, yo club. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you just said that you merge your, your intuitive skills and your photography skills of 35 years. Is that something that you did and understood right from day one? Or is this something that happened over time? You didn't really Realize that these two skills worked together. How about option C, none of the above? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd love you to share this because I yeah, have so yeah. many people that have got, you know, this special, the thing that makes them super unique, yeah. you know, that thing that makes them stand out and they don't realize how to, to marry up these things to create something that is absolutely, you know, one of a kind. Yeah. I would say that it is the transformational aspect of what I do with the transaction of being a photographer. And so here's how it happened. I have photographed the Dalai Lama 15 times now on three different continents. And one of those times back in 2009 was with the Kennedy family, who I was coaching in Washington, D.C. And after photographing the entire living Kennedy family and the Dalai Lama, 
I had to go sit under a tree in Arlington Cemetery and be like, what just happened? You know, it was just like one of those moments that you can't even aspire to have. It's just mm-hmm. so extraordinary. So I'm literally sitting under this tree in Arlington Cemetery. I will never forget the moment. And I felt like this dewdrop come into the top of my head and kind of like give me the shivers. And all of a sudden, I had this realization that every single time I'm with the Dalai Lama, he like transmits this frequency and one in particular to me. And in this moment, I realized that I have the ability to see people's souls just like the Dalai Lama does and to be present to that person's soul. And that in doing it, I was going to be able to do some kind of image and give it back to the person. And I saw it. I couldn't really like articulate it that clearly even at that moment. So I called up my best friend and I said, hey, I just had this moment, this spiritual awakening. And he was like, great. My business partner and I will come down to LA and we'll get a soul portrait with you. And in that moment, like he named what it was, a soul portrait. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's okay, great. All right. So he's in front of my camera and, you know, the hair and the makeup and the lights and the everything. And he's there and I have photographed him. We've been friends since high school. Uh-huh. And so I've known him for a very long time and I've photographed him so many times. And every time he has the same smile, it's like, <laughs> and he's doing that. He's not watching and he's listening. It's just that that fake smile that we all put on for the camera. <laughs> it's like from Zoolander. It's a version. Of, I don't know if you've ever seen the Ben yeah, Stiller yeah. movie Zoolander oh, when no, he's like no, a male no. model. It's kind of like that moment. I'm photographing him. I'm kind of doing a little bit of what I've always done, but it's a little more. And he's like, Siddiqui, you're supposed to be channeling for me. You're supposed to be telling me what you see of my soul. And I felt very like, I can't do that. Like very put on the spot. And he just dropped into this place of being really stern, which is something that he's usually not. And he's like, he looks straight at me and he's like, I'm getting that you can see my soul. I just need you to tell me what you see. And in that moment, it was just kind of like this, this second awakening, this kind of like being, oh my God, I've always known this. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that I had always had intuition about people. I always had a way of interacting with them when they were in front of the camera to make them feel comfortable. But in that moment, it was like, oh, start telling him all of this information that I'm getting. So I did. And the self-conscious part of me was like, is it right? Do I really know what I'm talking about? How do I know what I know? Oh my God. And then I, I watched the shift as I'm like, telling him this information. I'm just, I'm literally through the camera watching his, basically his mask, his persona just completely melt. Kind of in a moment of shock and awe, honestly. (laughs) Uh, We were both in shock and awe. And then like one teardrop just rolled down his face in this illumination. It was like he had swallowed a light bulb and, Uh and I had turned on the switch and he just looked completely different. And in that moment, it was like, click, I'll never forget. It was back in the days of film and it was frame 13 on the first roll. And you can see the shift from frame 12 to frame 13. Like he is a different person. And that was the first soul portrait. And I've been practicing that method ever since. Wow. What a gift he gave you. He did. Such a beautiful gift because we feel like we have to show up in a certain way like everyone else. And even if we are not consciously aware of it, we don't want to put ourselves on the line and show up being that different in case someone says, you know what, I don't like 
that is rubbish. Like, what are you doing? And that putting ourselves out there in that really completely vulnerable and authentic place is a really, really scary branch to walk out onto. Absolutely. Which is what I discovered. I thought that the be all end all would be to get someone dropped into their soul, take a photo of them, give them that photo and be like, this is how awesome you are. And that that would like remove any of their doubts, any of their self-consciousness, any lack of self-esteem, any lack of self-awareness. And for some people, it really did. It was like an instantaneous, now you have this template, go forth and prosper. Mm. (laughs) Some people really did. And some people, it was kind of like taking your antibiotics and you stop the course halfway through. And so whatever bugs you're using the antibiotics for, just they get stronger. And what I noticed was some people were in such resistance to the vulnerability, especially leaders, like really big leaders. They had Mm -hmm. a way that they saw themselves and that they felt like they needed to project their power in order to be respected. That was for the men. And the women, it was like, how beautiful and nice do I need to be so that I'm not threatening, so that you love me, so that you hire me? And Mm -hmm. it was all just contrived. And they couldn't reconcile the difference between how they had felt they were being because they were convinced that's the way they needed to be to get hired, to get asked on a date with this more softer, more vulnerable part of themselves. And they couldn't reconcile the power. It's a different kind of power. Gave rise to the visibility work, which is a huge part of what I do because I I believe that the visibility work addresses the bigger wound that we all have that I, I will invariably talk about during this interview. But yes, you are spot on. We are not taught this. When you came across this soul portrait experience that you had, did you still photograph the Dalai Lama after that experience? I have, yes. I have. What I would love to know, the images on either side, are they different? Did you feel that there was something that you drew out of him differently after you discovered this? Well, it's not a fair comparison because I have photographed (laughs) him in so many contexts. Like in some, I'm able to have a one-on-one direct contact with him like the first dozen times. And then the last two times have been more of as a photojournalist. So I'm part of a photo crew and I'm photographing him on stage and I haven't had that personal interaction with him since, which is interesting. So I don't know, but what I would say in theory is that he actually doesn't need the soul portrait. He's actually living in his soul. He is, he is fully aligned with all of who he is. And so I could tell him that. I could tell him what his soul looked like, and he might be amused, as he often is. He might giggle. He might laugh. He might ponder it. But I don't think it would really affect a change in his energy or in his frequency because he's so all of who he can be. Mm. And that's really the gift of the soul portrait is that it is maybe a step on the path or maybe it's a quantum leap on the path into really expressing all of the power that we are trying to reconcile in this physical form. Mm. And I would say he's already there. Totally. Ray, I would love that opportunity to do that. Yeah. So what about someone that you photographed before and after this, I know that you said, you know, for the first person that you photographed, frame 12 and frame 13 were different. What are some of the outcomes that you've had with people that 
have been photographed from you before that you yeah. did soul portraits to the the outcomes that they get now because you've always been a great photographer that's what the that's the interesting part of this it's not like yeah. you were a bad photographer before you were already <laughs> a great photographer I was an award winning yeah I was an award winning photographer and you know I was very accomplished especially for a woman in my career I was very very ahead of the curve in commercial photography and possibly in journalism as well. I'll give you a great example. So one of my favorite clients and a, a good friend of mine, Sage Levine, she had, she was well into her business and she had a soul portrait and she actually had two. She, so she had one and then she had another one because she was so like, she was like, forget the outcome. I'm just addicted to the process. <laughs> and that second one she used for marketing. And she went from having a humble following to within a year of using the images going from 2,000 people on her mailing list to 25,000 people on her mailing list. Wow. And now, obviously, it wasn't all the soul portrait, but when I interviewed her, she said that the difference was is that she was able, I'll probably cry some point during this interview because I'm so moved. I'm so moved at this transmission. So she was able to look at the photo and see this power in her that was not yet realized. And she was like, watch out world, because when I become this person, this person knows what to do in business. She knows who she's reaching. And Sage Levine has gone on to build an incredible, ginormous audience. Her events are like 500 plus women from all over the world, which is really big. And I just did another soul portrait of her. And she was like, it's time. I'm time to upgrade to that next version of me and see what I can manifest from there. So that's just one of many examples. I have so many very, very, very interesting outcomes that were unexpected that people yeah. have had. And when people have their, their soul portraits done, and I can only imagine that feeling of looking at it and going, oh my goodness, that's the real me. And I understand that because I wrote about it in my book, The Heart of Entrepreneurship, talking about that moment when I realized that I'd built a wall to protect myself and I hadn't even realized that I was living behind this wall of this is who I need to be, this is how I need to show up, this is, you know, I need to be this not fun person because I'm in business and I need to prove myself and like just letting that wall down and realizing, well, actually I don't need to be all those shoulds that I've been living behind. But it's such a vulnerable time as well. Like it's freeing and empowering, but it's also a really scary time because all of a sudden you realize, hang on a minute, I've never shown up in this world as this person before. And this is truly me. That's the empowering part. But then there's this part of, but what if people don't like me? What if I get judged? You know, what if people don't think I'm good enough? And that's the, the part where it's really, it's really fearful. And I know that you know what I'm talking about because I've seen some of the, the women that you photographed talking about these moments. When people see these photographs, how do they move through this? And I know this is like a really big question, but is there this moment of, I don't know what to do next? Like, I'd love to hear the experience that you have with these women that have these photographs and, and how they move through this process. Sure. Women and men, by the way. Sorry, uh, I thought you only worked no. with women, which no, no, of course no, the no, Dalai no. Lama is okay. not a woman. So Kennedys, I don't know why I thought were, that. <laughs> um, no, I've had, I mean, I've had equally profound experiences and I'm going to bring up a man, which is why I'm correcting it. So yeah. one of my clients, 
Nick Prattley, who I've interviewed on Facebook Live. So I'm not going to be saying anything that he hasn't already said in a public forum. I just want to be clear about that because some of the stories are very vulnerable and they're very intimate. Uh-huh. When Nick first came to me, it was two years after I had started Soul Portraits. And he was a fitness instructor in New York City. He was a gay male. He was living like, you know, a big, out loud, proud life and dating a lot of people and, and whatnot. And when I did his Soul Portrait, what comes along with it is the reading, the channeling of this vision. So I record it. And I said, would you please listen to the recording when you have back in that time, it was like an eight by 10 photo. When you have the eight by 10 in front of you, would you please listen to it and look at it? And so Nick called me 30 days later and he was like, so I've been listening to it every day. And I was like, okay, just be clear. I just said, listen to it once. And he's like, I know, but something happened on the first day after I listened to it, I got this like exponentially big raise at work. It just came out of nowhere. And he's like, well, maybe it was a soul portrait. And maybe if I keep listening to it and looking at it, maybe there'll be more magic. So then part of his reading was really about him being this father, like this father archetype, and that that was really what he was meant to bring forward in his work was this energy that he was to lead people as kind of like the head of the house, the father, the divine masculine, which is not, he was kind of in the shadow side of the divine masculine at that point. So 30 days later, he got back together with this man that he had been with many years before that had wanted a family. And Nick was like, no, 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 I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready to settle down. I, I want to like live my life. So he got back together with him. And then fast forward, he keeps listening and he keeps looking. He keeps listening to the DNA reading of his soul. He keeps looking at the soul portrait. And 90 days later, they're engaged. And within a year, I am the officiant at their wedding. And they went on to have a baby girl through a surrogate. And, you know, that was like the full coming full circle to this vision of like, you are the father and you are meant to express that part of yourself in every area of your life. And P.S., even if you have no idea what that looks like, <laughs> look, look into the eyes. So I'm answering two questions at once. Look into the eyes of the person in this image. And that version of you knows what to do to get there. Mm. And don't ask anybody else. Keep asking this version of you that is already there. Yeah. And that was just one of like literally dozens and dozens of people that have come back to me and been like, oh, and this happened. Oh, and this happened. And my lawyer is always like, please make sure you make a disclaimer that you're not claiming to perform miracles as a result of the soul portrait. This is just the unintended consequence of people seeing themselves Mm. in a different way. So there isn't really that vulnerability at all because when you really tap into who that person is, that person already exists. That's But there is a vulnerability in it. Well, first of all, I have photographed some really big leaders who did not want to put this version of themselves out into the world because it was too vulnerable, because it didn't match the public persona they felt like they needed to project in order to stand in their authority and their power. My argument was when I look at the visibility work with people, like as leaders, I believe that we are being asked to take a stand for a new paradigm around how we interact on this global intergalactic network called the World Wide Web. And that we, we have an opportunity to reframe how we are, what energy we're putting out there. I don't know if you've seen that movie, what is it, the 
about the Facebook scandal. It's um, it's on Netflix. It's no. Oh my God, it's so good. Anyway, it's really about how the biggest commodity, something that's more precious than oil and more precious than gold is our, our personal information on Facebook and on the World Wide Web. Like that's what companies are buying. They're buying us as profiles. Mm-hmm. So the last thing that one might want to do is to be vulnerable so that they could get more information. However, I believe that when we truly show up as who we authentically are, that we have the opportunity and the ability to connect at a much deeper level, a much more integrated level with the right people. And Mm. so we're sorting through this maze of information and we're going right to the people that we're meant to connect with. That Mm. is invaluable. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm a big stand for. But first, we have to get through all the inner minutia. Statistically, I just, I'm a big science geek because I worked at Mayo Clinic. We have less than a 40th of a second between the brain seeing and instantly making a judgment, instantly making a decision. Your brain has already decided Samantha's wearing black, Sid's wearing green before we can even form a word. And what that means is that the part of the brain that's perceiving it is the amygdala, which is the fight or flight animal part. And so it's all about safety. And so if we're really going around wearing these persona masks, then other people's guts are reacting to that. And you're not really connecting Mm. or compelling, but it's based on a facade. Is that really what we want? Totally. So visibility is something obviously that we need to do. And I say obviously, but I think that there's maybe some people think it's not an obvious thing that we really need to be visible. If we want to make change, if we want to be a change maker, if we want to be a leader, if if we want to be a thought leader, people need to know who we are. What are some of the tips that you can give us to really let down that facade to be more visible? And remind me, because I have a question for you, but I don't want to like uh, interrupt your thought for Okay. So a couple of great tips that I can give you or anybody that is trying to be visible in any form. So certainly it would be these live streaming in a photography shoot when you're on stage, probably even in a sales conversation when you're, when you're really offering an opportunity to a client that can feel very vulnerable in terms of, wow, they're really seeing me. They're really seeing what I have to offer. Are they going to deem it as worthy? So in any of these situations, what I'm a big proponent of is really, really, really big self-love. Really, really, really being tapped into who we are as divine beings having this human experience and really getting into a place of service. So however you do that, whether it's meditation or a walk on the beach or really realizing that all these points of contact in front of live streaming on cameras or videos or photos or stages or sales conversations, they're all points of contact where we get to connect and to really make it our intention And it's not just a one-time choice, it's a repeated choice to really first get really grounded and centered in, you know, who we really are, which is divine beings of love. This is my California woo-woo out there moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not in California, but I'm feeling it with you. (laughs) You know, and to really realize that we have this electrical network, because that's literally what the World Wide Web is. It's a matrix. It's a network. And how we plug into it is directly proportional to what we receive from it. 
Mm-hmm. And that's true of life, but that's really true of the World Wide Web. So who do we want to be? We want to be the best versions of ourselves. So maybe it's we meditate. Maybe it's, I know when I'm doing Facebook Lives, even though nobody's in the room, I'm putting myself into a position of I'm generously receiving and I'm opening and I'm welcoming for people to come into my realm, my world, Mm -hmm. and to see who I really am. And if that means in the moment I feel like I'm going to cry, it's humbling and it's sometimes ego crushing, but I will cry. If it means that I want to say something that feels like it's a little over the line, for me, I will discern and I will say it. So what we can all do is we can all make it our intention to really show up to be of service from this place of self-love and groundedness. Because it's from that place that we're going to create the biggest change. Yes, which was my question to you. Can I ask Yeah, ask away. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful how that door just opened then? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yay, the opening. Uh, going back a couple minutes, you, you said that when you were writing your book or before you wrote your book, you had this moment where you realized that you had to be visible, you had to be seen and the vulnerability of it. And then it sounds like there was a shift. And I'm just wondering, was it one moment that had like this ripple out effect or was it something that slowly happened over time? And would you be willing to share that moment with us? Because I'm interested. Yeah, totally. So that living behind the wall, that wasn't something that I consciously did. And I just want to say that that's something that, you know, I went into business when I was only 20. So I was young. I built this wall so that you know, people used to, for example, we used to have male reps that were in their 50s or 60s come into the shop and they didn't want to deal with a female. So I built this wall of, well, you know, I am who I am and you can deal with me. And that just carried through my career. But the moment that I realized that the wall was there wasn't a single moment. It was, it was a process and it was after I went through my divorce And the wall just crumbled all on its own. I didn't do anything. The wall crumbled. (laughs) And I went, wow, okay. So I don't really want to build it up again. It's too exhausting. It's too tiring. So I went through this process of, well, who am I? Who am I really? What am I here to do? What is the message that I, that I want to share? I knew, I always knew that I was here to do something more, whatever that looked like. And I didn't know what it was, but yeah, that, that was, that was a, it was a process that took probably three or four years, to be honest. And in saying that, I also don't believe that any of us ever arrive there. If that makes sense, we're always evolving. The person that I was yesterday or all of us were yesterday is a completely different person to the person that we show up as today or tomorrow because of the experiences that we have through the things that we learn. So that authentic version of ourselves does actually change over time too. And that there is an amount of trust that has to go with that, that it's okay to let go of that person of yesterday and be the person of tomorrow and know that that's okay too. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I think that that's the key. And that's like the pivot point for me of realizing that wall around your heart. It's so similar. And I imagine you see that in your clients. And I imagine that that's what you help your clients do now is to realize that they have walls, dissolve the walls, and then not put them up again. <laughs> right? Totally. Because, so that they get what they really want. Well, isn't it interesting that we put the walls up because we feel that it protects us? But carrying those walls around is exhausting. Well, which is the best point ever because that's what the visibility work is, is it's going back to the original wounding we had around 
being seen and being heard. I work with people on that because they don't know why. It seems so simple that we should be doing regular Facebook Lives. It seems so simple that we should be sending out the emails to our clients. It seems so simple that we should be picking up the phone and making outreach calls and seeing how we can be of service to others, aka a sales call. It seems so simple that we should be getting in front of audiences and, and speaking our truth to the world so that they know what we have to offer. However, it's not because we all have that wall, which I call a visibility wound. Mm-hmm. And in my world, they simply don't feel safe to be seen, but they don't even know that that's their truth. They don't realize that somewhere way, 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 way back, sometimes even pre-verbal, something inside of them made a decision to withhold a piece, like a precious piece of themselves and to never show this to the world. You know, I'm never showing my psychic gifts to the world. That's what happened to me. I mm-hmm. grew up with hippie parents and, and I learned how to channel. And then I went to Catholic school and at Catholic school, you know, the nuns would come back to my parents and be like, she's in this alternative reality and we're worried about her. And so then I got sent to doctors and psychiatrists and then it was like, all right, here's what you need to do. You need to systematically deny her reality so that she stops having it, you know, Um, which is a whole nother story. Read it in my book, which will be coming out next year, hopefully. So it was not safe to be seen. It was not safe to share all of who I was. And without consciously knowing it, I made a decision, I'll never, I'll never show the world this most sacred part of me. I'll Mm -hmm. never let them know what's going on. Hell no, you don't get a piece of this. So in the moment when my friend is asking me to do this reading for him during the first soul portrait, I wasn't even touched with my soul because I had hidden it because it became not safe for it to be seen. The pivot point is when life calls us, when our destiny is greater than our fear, and we are asked by our souls, our higher self, the spirit of the universe, whatever your belief is, we are pulled to this place where we have to, we must express who and what we really are in order to serve at that highest level, because that's the only thing that will ever be satisfying is to really live into the fullness of who we are and to express it in the world. Anything short of that is going to feel like we've walled off a piece of ourselves. And that's the not sharing that piece, that piece that we know that we're called to share is something that's going to catch up with us, regret. (laughs) Which is a whole nother conversation that we could have (laughs) about, (laughs) about, about the consequences of me not, even after I had the soul portrait and even after people had had these amazing experiences feeling like, but it's still too vulnerable. And I'm okay if it's word of mouth, but I don't really want to have to put it out in the world. So I got diverted and I went down a completely different path, which I eventually fell off of literally, like literally fell off a path in Mexico and broke the whole left side of my body and was in bed for 18 months contemplating (laughs) where I had gone wrong and what, like, why did I end up here? Because it wasn't lost on me that I was on this path. I was launching this completely different thing, completely Mm. different from the soul portrait. And now I'm sitting in bed, frustrated as all heck, angry, frustrated, despairing, depressed. Like, why? And, you know, the answer is always so simple. It's because I wasn't willing to put out there the most sacred part of me, which Mm. is exactly what the world needs, which Mm. is exactly what I'm being called to do, which was exactly what I didn't want to do. 
Yeah. Oh, totally. Something that I talk about with my clients is that when we're called to do something, we, we intuitively know what it is. And when we shut that part of what we should be doing off and logically think we should be doing something else, the universe will give us a little tap on the shoulder. And if you don't listen and you think, no, logically, I know what I'm doing and and keep ignoring that little tap on the shoulder, you'll get a bit of a slap across the face. But if you ignore any more, that's when you get the big... Shoved off the cliff in Mexico. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that it takes being super brave to look in and go, wow, what have I done? You know, this very same friend who I'll name here, Jeffrey Van Dyke, was the one that helped me bring the soul portrait into existence. And Jeffrey came to me when I was in bed and he grabbed a stack of pillows. And I was like, what are the pillows for? And he's like, please don't hurt me. And I'm like, what? Because we kind of had that brother-sister relationship where he'd punch each other in the arm. And he was like, please don't hurt me. And I was like, what? And he's like, I have, I have something I need to tell you. I'm scared of what your reaction is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, it was painful to watch you go down this other path. I was starting an online fitness business. And he's like, no doubt you're really amazing at this, you know, leading yoga classes and leading these experiences. However, what you're really meant to do is speak on stages and transmit this frequency and then if people really feel called to do a soul portrait they will they'll just know Mm. and he's like that's what you're meant to do and anything less than that and anything other than that is going to be an uphill struggle and it took a lot of courage for him to say that because i had invested a lot of time a lot of energy a lot of resources in building out this entire online interactive fitness platform only to be there in bed and be like if my body won't cooperate then obviously I can't do it. Mm. And we need friends like that. We need people that will, and Justin is that for me, my partner is like, he's like, that's not us, babe. (laughs) That's not who we are. You know, like people that will call us to our highest. Yes. And hold that frequency for us when we feel collapsed and diminished and are convinced that the only safe way to function in the world with is with a wall and then a barbed wire fence and then an electrical fence and then guards, you know, (laughs) (laughs) people that, that really invoke in us our, our true heart space, which is how we really want to connect. Absolutely. And just on that, those special people, those that we have in our lives, absolutely. They're earth angels. And I used to always think that these, you know, these people were the ones that always just agreed with us. But I've since realized probably over the last 10 years that these are the people that push our buttons in the most loving way and take us to the most, you know, the highest of, of growth. It takes a thick skin sometimes to, to deal with some of the, the comments that come out from these people, but they're an absolute blessing to have in our lives or not a thick skin. I used to, it's funny because I have this whole visibility archetype quiz and it's to help people identify before they even get in front of a camera on on stage or whatever, what part of them is calling them into greater service to be visible, but also the shadow side of that archetype and how we're actually so resistant to doing these things because we're not calling upon the greater energy of it. We're stuck and we're blocked by this shadow side of us that's absolutely convinced that it's not safe out there. And as I was creating it, one of the things that came to me was exactly what you were just saying. I've heard my clients repeatedly say these certain things, like I'm a chameleon. 
who do people want me to be? Mm-hmm. You know, or I feel like I'm going to get found out as a fraud and that I'll be exposed. So it's, it's this wording that gave rise to, oh, people would just really need to start with being aware of what kind of energy, what kind of archetypal energy they're using for protection so that they can call upon the lighter side of that and feel more empowered. And I love that you brought it up because that archetype visibility test I was going to bring up, which you just perfectly did anyway. So we'll pop the link in the show notes for everyone to go and, and do that archetype visibility test so that you can tap into the light and the dark to your archetype. Because not that I believe that there's the dark is bad. It's just, it is, we need, we need light and dark to create a whole in everything. We all have a shadow. I mean, if you go out in the middle of the day and you stand in the sun, you can be illuminated. But what is also created in that moment of illumination is a shadow. Mm. And, and the shadow is, we can never outrun it. You know, it's always, it's always with us. So if we can be aware of it and we can integrate it into our awareness, then when we have these challenges, like I have almost all my clients say, I hate having my picture taken, or I never look like how I perceive myself to be in pictures, that's the shadow side, right? If we can realize that that's the part of us that's withholding and trying to keep us safe and then really make it an active practice, an active intention to tap into this greater energy that will assist us in being seen, that's power, true power, authentic power. I love it. Siddiqui, for people that want to stay connected with you, how can they do that? Well, they can take the archetype quiz and they can join my Visibility Mastery Facebook group um, and they can private message me. I'm happy to be of service or answer questions or I love this stuff. This is what I'm here to do. So I'm happy to do it for whomever, whenever, however. Love it. And of course, like I said, all those links will be in the show notes so that you can click and uh, connect with Siddiqui, take the archetype visibility test. Siddiqui, thank you so much for sharing with me today and for all of our listeners, your story and all of your wisdom. It's been an absolute pleasure hanging out with you here. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to just know you. I'm so excited to see what the future holds for us. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks, Siddiqui. Thank you. Discover how to grow and scale your thought leader's business. Check out samantharily.global. Head over to Facebook and join a tribe of like-minded entrepreneurs in the Thought Leaders Business Lab community.